where Hollywood hides. Here's Bob and Suzanne. Chicken joke. I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We're on a mission from God. You had me at hello. Baby, you're the great. I'm not going to be ignored. Here comes the judge. Go ahead. Make my day. I got nowhere else to go. Small cowbell. Flat basher. There's anything wrong with that. You can't handle the truth. I'm not an actor. I'm a movie star. That's the story of my life. No respect. Never get no respect at all. I'm the dude. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And now for something completely different. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Welcome to Where Hollywood Hides. This is podcast episode number 40. My name is Bob McCullough. And this is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. Did you ever think we'd be at 40? I didn't think I'd ever be 40 years old, much less... At the 40th podcast. Listen, today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download and a free 30 day trial just by going to audibletrial.com slash wherehollywoodhides.com. You know, audible.com is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 150,000 titles. I'll never read that many books, but I might listen to some. Uh, That's and you, a lot. And they come in every conceivable genre from thrillers, uh, suspense, mysteries, business, romance, comedy, science fiction, all kinds of stuff. I've actually ordered Michael Sloan, his new book, The Equalizer. You know, he was on our earlier podcast. And he's a good friend of a yours. A great friend. And he's got a great book. I've already read the book. Now I want to hear it because it's always different when you hear somebody kind of perform the book. Uh, so I'll be getting that. And I just recommend everybody check out audible.com. When you sign up, they give you a free download every month. It's pretty incredible. And there's nothing to lose. Just go to audibletrial.com slash wherehollywoodhides.com and you'll get your free book. Just as a reminder to our growing audience, be sure to check out our website at wherehollywoodhides.com for show notes, photos, and the latest in showbiz news. And please click on our Amazon banner. Whatever you're looking for, from books to movies to pet supplies, it's at amazon.com. And the links at wherehollywoodhides.com are the quickest way to do your shopping. You'll be glad you did, and so will we. And a lot of our guests have books, CDs, videos, all kinds of things. We have links to all of that stuff directly through Amazon on our website. Bob, you must be so excited. We are going to be interviewing Greg Evigan. I just recently heard a song of his called Talk to Me. He wrote and produced it, and I couldn't believe what a fabulous voice he had. I only knew him as an actor, and apparently he's done quite a bit of music. So here's a little bit of Talk to Me. So listen, we're about to talk to Greg Evigan real quickly. Greg Evigan started his career on the theatrical stage on Broadway, of all things, as a teenager. And Greg went on to a a stellar career on television and in film. He has like several hundred uh, movie and TV credits. And of course, the big show that he was in was BJ and the Bear, where I met him, and My Two Dads. So let's talk to Greg. 
Hey, Bob. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. My bride, Susanna's here. Hi, Greg. Hey, Susanna. How are you? Fine. Thanks for doing this. So, Greg, you are one of the few people, I think, in the industry who can lay claim to, like, three different careers. You're a composer. You're a vocalist. You're an actor, producer, the father of talent. You've, you've got it all going. <laughs> Yeah, it's been going pretty good. I mean, I have no complaints. You know, I mean, it's it's been uh, diverse. You know, it's it's uh, we're we're eclectic. You know, we're an eclectic family. So and now, Greg, when you were really young, at what age did you think about or wanted to be an actor? I did not want to. I didn't. I never thought about being an actor at all. I I, I was into music because my mother uh, she played piano, and she was she was great. She she was an incredible pianist. She was. Uh, she she got up to Rhapsody in Blue, you know Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Sure, and and that's that's one of my favorite things. That's one of my Pandora when I'm writing. I play that. Me too. I, I've got it on there. It's great. I mean, it's a real uh, challenge for sure. I started it when I because I studied classical piano since I was eight years old. I, I started around eight, and um, so my interests were pretty much. I saw my father. I, I knew my father's story, which was pretty funny actually, because he was a, you know, uh, he was a singer. He had a great voice. You know, he passed away last year. He was, uh, he lived a long, good, great life. And uh, but he's a singer, so and I always admired him. I mean, I I really admired him. I just uh, he was like a real man's man, you know, that kind of guy. You know, electrician worked at Hercules. You know, he. Uh, so when he met my mother, uh, the two of them had these dreams and aspirations of uh, of being a duet of some sort. My mother would play the piano. My father would. Uh, would uh, sing and they, but he got his first big break. He told me the stories. He, uh, in fact, he told us all the story a few times. You know, as fathers and, uh, do, went, right? That's his started. privilege, oh. absolutely. Oh yeah, these are the things you remember. You know, the things. That's right. That, so he he uh, he got a chance to uh, play some club in New York, and he literally went on. He never really went on. He he was backstage. His his knees were so weak that he just couldn't even go on the stage. So. You know, it's funny how you get the, these things carry on when you to your kids. I mean, because they say, you know, when you're growing up, they say little things to you like, uh, "Are you nervous?" You know, well, no, I wasn't thinking of being nervous. Right, right. But now, but now I am. <laughs> yeah, I am nervous. Uh, you know, so so we, you know, my sister and I. I think my sister suffered from it the most. She just completely forget it. She would never even go on and do any any kind of performing at all. Because she always, uh, she really. We we only analyze this the two of us uh, later on in life and what really happened, and uh, but you know no no poor intentions on their part just that was the way it was you know and that's the way they felt so they figured they so anyway to get back to your question was that I, I was inspired by really by you know my father's voice and my mother's piano and uh, so until I got into my own rock bands in high school and that kind of thing you know once I started in junior high actually, I had my first. Uh, rock band called the royal plums the royal plums <laughs> i love it the royal plums and then there was the carltons and then there was then things switch from the classical training to uh you know i got my first farfisa combo deluxe you know uh uh the same one that uh the doors what's his name and the doors used uh so that was the, the inspiration at the time light my fire and you know oh sure that if you could play that riff on the keyboard, you know you were cooking. That was the first inspiration. Then I then I knew what I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Then I, I knew I just wanted to be in the band and and write music and yeah. So you, you, know, but you so you had some genetic uh, predisposition from your folks. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, they were really uh, always appreciated it. My mother, 
you know, like I say, she played great piano, and uh, and my father had the voice, and it was the teacher that came along, I think, in high school that really, really did it. She got me, talked me into singing a couple, couple uh, uh, lines in the play. I remember it was, I think the first play was, I know it was a Music Man, and then Music Man, and then uh, I think Oliver. That's right. I think my, that's right. I remember the line it was, uh, I had to wait for the whole show for to say. Nose rags, you know. <laughs> I think uh, cold jelly and custard was the other line. That's right. So you never forget these things. You know? Right? No, you don't. So, so this is this the high school that you that you're in in New Jersey, right? Right. That was uh, Sayreville High, but those those plays were in the junior high. And in high school, we did Hello Dolly, and and there was a teacher that really influenced me. You know, like if there are a few those teachers out there that really, you know, have this. Uh, can have an incredible impact on you. And uh, yeah, Patrick Arvonio, and he's, uh, I mean, this guy was so eclectic. He, he was the warden uh, at Railway State Prison. <laughs> he was a teacher in our high school who changed the program around and made the uh, uh, Dr. Parnell, who's our, uh, our principal. She really liked him because she saw his talent. She saw what he was trying to do for the program. And so we ended up winning uh, the tri-state competition uh, with one of the plays we did at the Garden State Art Center. And I don't know if you're familiar with that in, in New Jersey. Garden State Art Center is pretty... Uh, no, what I can imagine is pretty competitive. An incredible place. I mean, really, the sound there, I remember how incredible the sound was. And, and uh, so anyway, that was, uh, it was really inspirational to the point where he would bring in New York choreographers and uh, really give us a feel for what it's like to have that, you know, what, what the Broadway, uh, just a little taste of it, you know, at that age. And so it was inspirational, and that's really what really got me going to uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, which was the first professional show. So how did that come up to pass? That was uh, thanks to my friend Gary Delina, who uh, is a New Jersey comic to this day. He's, uh, uh, he, he was reading the Variety. He read in Variety, saw this little tiny article, you know, that said, Open Call for Jesus Christ Superstar. And he showed it to me. He said, look, man, we can... And I said, wow, look at the size of that little thing. Nobody's going to ever see that in, in Variety. I mean, geez, man, well, we got this, you know? So <laughs> uh, we learned... I mean, I learned everything. I learned every... Uh, I learned every uh, every song, but I I was had my eyes on playing Jesus and uh, and I uh, so I learned all you know Garden of Gethsemane and and got that all all going and uh, and then we showed up in New York the two of us early in the morning you know we figured hey we'll get there early before everybody else you know eight o'clock eight thirty yeah and we we showed up and there was a line that went from the Mark Hellinger Theater on eighth and and fifty first. Up to Broadway or Seventh, and then up to Fifty Second, wow. all the way, uh, all the way back down to Eighth. <laughs> That's like a half a mile, right? Unbelievable! Yeah, it's like a half a mile. Seriously. So, so what did you think when you saw that line? We are out of our league. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had my freakiest pants on, which were just striped jeans, you know. Sure. And uh, and I had some shirt I thought was cool with a couple beads on. Everybody in the line had, you know, they had feathers coming. I mean, tattoos and beads and feathers and and piercings and long hair down to the waist. And I'm thinking, wow, we we are from Jersey. Hey, I love Jersey. You know, we're some Jersey bumpkins coming in uh, uh, auditioning for this. But at a clock in the afternoon, we were getting close, and we hear this guy yell out, uh, 
Charlie, his name is. I remember Charlie, the uh, doorman with the cigar, little guy. And Charlie yelled out, pick 12 bars, you know. Like, 12 bars? Oh, come on, man, 12 bars. I know the whole show, you know. I'm not going to – I can't pick 12 bars. You are overprepared, was, right. right. Yeah. So uh, so I just said uh, – I said, screw it. I'm just going in. I'm just going to do uh, – I'm just doing my song. That's it. So, you know, I went in, finally got my shot, walked out in this barren stage with the one light in the middle. Uh, out, and you hear – you know, you see a few people out there in, in the audience. And uh, Were you maybe, really nervous or were you just – like uh, beyond. I mean, you know, when you wait for, you know, we got there at eight o'clock. We get, we were coming in at five, five thirty, whatever it was, and I was absolutely, I'd re- reminiscent of my father, you know, and uh, and I went out, I walked out to the middle of the stage. And they hand, the guy handed me the microphone, and I, he says, uh, the piano player sitting here. Says, so what's up? What are you doing? I said, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. He goes, Gotcha. I said, All right. So uh, he starts it. He starts it, and I, I just start from the beginning. I figured, well, 12 bars, I'm going, going for it. So I, I worked my way up, got all the way to the middle, you know, where the, it's like, whoa, whoa, right? You know, it's a crazy, crazy vocal part, you know? And uh, got all the way to that part, and by the time I got there, my knees were absolutely <laughs> giving out. So I said, well, I went down, to my, went down to my knees on the floor and finished the song there, and I just couldn't wait. To, I could practically get up. <laughs> I could I could hardly get back up. So I got you know I got up, walked out, started walking out. And a guy ran up to me and said, uh, "Can you come back tomorrow?" You know, I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, definitely." He says, "Okay, good, good." And so, uh, what a great me. feeling that must have been. And you're like seventeen, eighteen at this time. Yeah, I was seventeen. Yeah, wow. seventeen. Just got out of high school in June, graduate because I was born in October, so I was a little, you know. What were, a story. Were you uh, Were you as tall as you are now? Um, nah, it was a little shorter. Because you because you you have some stature going, you know. I've got. I think I was probably at the time. I don't know. I'm six two, six two and a half now. I was probably uh, maybe six feet five eleven, something like that. Okay. I, got, I had a, one of those last spurts, you know, mm-hmm. a little later on. But 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 that went on. See, then that that continued on. That story it went for fifteen more auditions. It started getting down to. Uh, you know the cast, so they started whittling things down, and 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 after the fifth audition, I showed up, and there was nobody there. Whoa! I'm like, oh, this can't be good. I said, I know, I, I know, I've got the time right. You know, <laughs> and I walked in, I, and there's Charlie sitting there with a cigar, and I said, Charlie, what's going on? You know, where is everybody? He goes, director broke his back. They're bringing in Tom Oregon. Oh boy! Oh. I said, oh my God! <laughs> so it's a new round of auditions. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm thinking now. I'm thinking, all right. Well, geez, Tom O'Horgan's going to bring in everybody from Hair, right? So right, that's, that's right. Hair was huge. So then uh, I got a call, though. I mean, I, the, the thing, the director that was, um, he had me really grooming, for, grooming me to play the role of Jesus. So I, I was only hoping that you know they would at least pick a few of the people on the old list. So I got back in there, but I wasn't. I wasn't at the top of the pile anymore. I was somewhere in the middle. So, yeah, long story short, I, I went in and uh, continued on with the auditions, at least 10 more. We did the dance auditions, which is pretty funny because I wasn't really dancing. I did some a little bit of choreography in, in those plays I told you about, in the high school plays. But, you know, they, but the way they, I saw some of the dancers just kind of making like they were snakes and crawling around the room. And I said, well, I could do that. Okay. Well. <laughs> so I just started doing that. And I said, yeah, okay, good. You, you pass. That's good enough, you know. So then it came down to the last day. 
and they put us in in uh, three groups, A, B, and C. They said, "Okay, C, you know, thank you so much for this incredible adventure and experience, you know, that you've gone through, and thank you for being here, but you can lead now." And then uh, I was in B. They said, "B, you're going to be the first uh, official Broadway tour, and A, you're going to be the first uh, Broadway company." So what a rush that must have been yeah, for you! I was happy to be in any one of those two groups. There. And then uh, they they literally handed the contracts out right there, and wow. you know, and and uh, of course I didn't do that. My father said, "You got to always bring a contract home, son." You know, make sure. Well, that's probably pretty. That's, that's probably pretty good advice. Yeah, that's probably good advice. You know. So, uh, but then, then it was uh, it was a year on the road with that, and then, you know, from every town, twice around, all one nighters, two nighters, and then the uh, our conductor Stan Lebowski, his name was, uh, I guess he was. They really liked his work, and they they brought him in to conduct a Broadway show, and he brought a few people with him, and I was one of those people, and I was happy about that. So, so I did another year on Broadway. So that was my first year on Broadway. Oh, exciting! So I have a question for you. The first, yeah. the first time that curtain goes up on Broadway, what are your knees doing? Oh man, amazing! Yeah, I, I, honestly, for that show, I think I was—I mean, I was nervous, but I've had other experiences where I was much more nervous. For that show, I felt like I was really part of a great ensemble, and and we always felt—I always felt like like we were just we were one. You know, we worked as one. You know? Right. Uh, in the future, uh, there was a couple of things like like I did Chicago a few years ago, where I literally, I felt like you know I was like OJ going for the border, man. I I really <laughs> was going to go for the border. I was like, I'm out of here. I, I'm standing there. I'm playing Billy Flynn, and it was my first night on. I had two weeks to rehearse, and I'm waiting back this back there, and uh, and and I literally, honestly had the thought, you know what? I could take off. I can leave my family. I mean, they'll find me eventually. You know? I'll just leave for the border, you know. <laughs> I was that nervous, you know. And that's after <laughs> that's after decades of professional work. Exactly. So everybody so goes through that. It was kind of it's like ignorance is bliss, you know. You just go out and you do your thing, and I and I felt really good about uh, that show. So you know, it's interesting. So we, it's interesting about stage fright. I heard the story that Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show, he was on for what twenty five years. Yeah. Every night before that show started, he went to the bathroom and upchucked because he was okay. he was so concerned about failure. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, and when he came out, really and when he came out, he looked so completely relaxed. What a stressful and, life! So I think it's I think it's a fairly common thing, and it, it it points to the desire for excellence. You just don't want to blow it, you know, and you don't yeah. want to let, don't want to let the people on that team down in any way. It's right up there with you know, uh, you're as good as your last performance, and people that really believe that, I think, uh, you know, that, that must have been Johnny. I mean, he must have. Uh, he must have had that going on because he knew that every night he's going to be with these incredible guests. Yeah, and yeah. and it meant a lot to each one of them. Now I assume that your parents came to one of your shows. Oh yeah, yeah, they definitely came to the show. And yeah. what did they think? Oh, they were really proud. You know, I, they were always proud. Uh, sometimes too proud. <laughs> they, they, they suddenly they suddenly realized you were not going to go to dental school. Right. Yeah, exactly. Or I wasn't going to have that father and son shoe job. Putting. I remember my father said, uh, when I, you know, a senior year, he's like, "Listen, I got a, I got a friend of mine's working the father and son shoe. I, got, I think I can get you in." Oh, great, like, perfect. That's, that'll really inspire you to do something else. <laughs> yeah, it's a real way to work your way up, son. You know. Yeah. Right. Right. And the toes up. So, so after so, uh, Je- so after Jesus Christ, you wound up uh, being cast in Greece. That's right.
was a there was a two week overlap. So I had a, a great article in the New York Times before and after. So I had the I had the long hair in the one shot, and then uh, then I had the the grease cut in the next shot. You know, with a cigarette hanging out of my mouth, and and it was. Uh, it was uh, it was real exciting. I mean, I I, re- I was replacing Barry Boswick, who was to, who, when I saw him do the show, I I couldn't even believe how that anyone could be that good. I, he was just so good, and uh, so I had some shoes to fill on that one. Wait, was this the part of Danny Zuko? Yeah, uh-huh. the part of Zuko, and uh, and then I did it for the summer. That first summer, I did it uh, through. I think it was like June to I think August September, and then. They they came up and they said, producer said, you know we we promised this role to Jeff Conaway, and uh, so he he's he's going to come in. Well, you got a choice. You can either be the understudy or we'll give you the Chicago company. And I said, well, I'll take the Chicago company, you know, because I'm not going to sit around, you know. So uh, so I took the Chicago company and I did it for a year in Chicago. For our listeners who are not familiar with the world of theater, what is an understudy? What's he doing? Pretty much the understudy. Uh, there's 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 two things. There's an understudy, and then there's the swing. So the swing per, the the swing person usually can do all the roles. They it's a tough job, you know, because you you got to be ready to do any role uh, that night. Whatever comes up, the swing person will go in if uh, some one of the one of the characters is sick. But the understudy, if you if you're just an understudy, then you just you just learn the one role and you understudy that role. So you literally understudy that role, and uh, then once in a while you get a chance to go on. And you, so, you so, hope, you're, so you're sitting around hoping the lead gets the flu. Exactly, or you're hoping he has hypoglycemia or something. Right. <laughs> like in, in Superstar with Jesus, I understudied Jesus and I played Annis. So on on the night every night I played Annis, but. But when uh, it turned out that Bob Korf, who was the guy that I was understudying, uh, who's an excellent vocal teacher, by the way, in uh, Los Angeles now, and uh, Bob, uh, he didn't know he had hypoglycemia. He only found out years later uh, that, that he had it. And so I, I must have gone on for at least five weeks for Bob because, at a, you know, within the entire run of eight or nine months, which is a pretty good chunk. You're lucky if you go, get to go on once or twice if, if you've got a healthy, uh, <laughs> healthy right. act. So anyway, that was the uh, that was uh, the next progression was Greece and uh, and 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 then I finished that that run in Chicago and wouldn't miss a show by the way. So my understudy really really had no. Wow, that's pretty yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I think he got to go on a half a show because I had we were in Canada and I had I got dysentery. So when I got to the hand jive dance, right. if anybody from who is oh, familiar yeah. with that sure. show. Should sure. I hit that split? Well, let me. I <laughs> <that> was it. <laughs> Understudy. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I want to talk about the aspect of you were really young and so talented and in these great shows, and you were a great looking guy. Um, was your personal life crazy? I mean, did you have a significant other? How, how are the women? <laughs> right down to it, Bob. Right, right, right. It, it wasn't bad. I'll tell you that. It was a, it was a great time. But at the time, I was uh, in Chicago. I was pretty free in those days. So I, I had um, a girlfriend and I. We broke up, and I went and I did the show. And I was twenty three and free. Let's see, I was wow. something like that, right around there. Not really. I, I was even younger. I was only nineteen, something like that. Yeah, I was nineteen to Greece. So. 
1920 right in there. So yeah, I mean, Chicago is a great town. So what, so yeah. when the when the feature was produced, how did that impact you? Well, that was it, it, it hurt a lot of people that were in the show that did, did a, a few years. Well, some guys got in the movie, but really, this is where it comes down to management and agents and power and all that. So I know the guys that got the movie. Like Johnny came in, Travolta, and then uh, James Canning. You know, all those guys were managed managed by. Well, they had a great management company, so those guys they were really working for him to get him in there. You know, and I really never, I never felt like I had at that time at all. Uh, great management behind me pushing me. I was really just fine because I didn't get the role from a manager. I got it from an open call. Right. You know. From an agent, I didn't have an agent. Uh, so nobody, really. so nobody was invest, nobody was invested in your success in the show. Exactly, except yourself. So I was just really got it from the open call, and uh, and then I finally got an agent, and but I didn't feel at the time like they were. It's different for theater for those people that are out there that are listening and want to know about the difference between theater and uh, and film, and the success in film and theater. So it's such a different thing. There's there's uh, there's agents that really really are concentrate mostly on uh, on uh, equity productions, you know, plays and that kind of thing. And then there's, uh, once you get into uh, the film business and there's there's big money, then you've got the managers and the, the agents that that really concentrate hard on getting you the work because there's a great percentage to be made for them, you know. So, you know, there's not much money in theater. So. Right, right. So, but I'm, what I'm hearing right, you say I mean, is, for the, for the film business, relationships and mentorships are pretty key. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. so, so after Greece, uh, how did you wind up getting on film? I mean, it is a big step. It is a huge step. Yeah, it was. I, I had this thing in my head about somebody. I don't even know where it came from. I can't even remember. But, but I remember that at the time, I I was. Uh, really, really focused on not doing anything for too long because I saw people, probably because of what I saw, I saw people do uh, do theater and try to make a career out of each each show they did. And I and it really scared me because I was thinking, wow, I've, I've done, I've done like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these shows of the same show every night. I can't imagine. And that's the funny thing about Teddy Neely because, you know, Teddy, there's kind of like a little inside joke with Teddy Neely and Jesus Christ Superstar because he's probably the best example I could think of for what I'm talking about. And Teddy, the funny thing about it is we all did, by the time I got done with Superstar, if you figure it out, every night, you know, there's eight shows a week times 52. Wow, know, that was a lot of shows. Kind of a grind. And then multiply, and then, and then, and then whatever that is, double that. And that's how many shows I did of Superstar. So... The killer was is when they were going to pick Jesus. Teddy came out of nowhere. He's like he, all of a sudden Teddy, this guy Teddy Neely's doing the show for two weeks. He came in and stood in for, for I think uh, it's Jeff Fenholt. Yeah, and uh, for some reason, then all of a sudden Teddy gets the movie. So and we're like, and I even said this. Teddy, I've talked to Teddy about it. He says, "Oh yeah, man, you know I came in for those two weeks, and you know I did the show, and I, I, I got the movie and the whole thing." He says, "But." Believe me, I paid for it throughout the years. Well, yeah, he did it for like 30 years. Well, he's done it for 25 years or whatever it's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a lifetime, basically. Yeah, he's he's made a, a complete career out of, out of this, you know. But, you know, that's, that's one of the unfortunate things sometimes for someone's career. Um, they get typecast so badly that they can't think of them as anything else except Jesus. Um, 
Yeah, that's true, you know. So so you've had your Broadway experience. You've had major role in one of the biggest Broadway musicals of all time. And the transition to film, how did you wind up going from... To Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, the whole Hollywood transition is a mega move. Well, continuing on that thought, so I was really... I felt like I never... You know, I don't ever want to do anything for too long. That's the way I felt. Okay, so... So it was. Uh, so I realized when I was doing uh, Greece, I said, "Okay, well, when my contract is up, which is going to be June of that year, whatever that year is, I think it's '73 or '4, a long time ago." Um, then that's going to be it. I'm going to be done with it. And then um, contract is up, and, and you know they're like, "Come on, don't go, you crazy? What are you nuts? You know?" I'm saying, "What do you have going?" I said, "Nothing, but I'm going to have something going." And uh, and so I. So I, the contract ended, I left, I came back to New York, and then um, there was this audition for a show called, it was called The Year at the Top. Actually, it's called Hereafter, the first one. So it was another one of these long, remember Don Kirshner, right? Sure. Okay, so Don, Don Kirshner, it was Don Kirshner, Norman Lear, and Neil Bogart, those three heavyweights in the business at the time. You know, Casablanca was Neil Bogart. He the was heaviest, the right. And then, of course, Norman Lear, you know, with all the shows he had, all in the family, and Jefferson's and Maud. a whole slew sure. of other ones. So I got this audition for this show. And you had to sing and you had to dance. He was trying to create like another, like the monkeys, okay? Something like that. But but uh, he didn't want to, he couldn't just do that again. He, he already did that. So so it was going to be something like that. It was two guys, you know, rather a, a bunch of guys sell their souls to the devil for a year at the top as young rock stars. And that was the uh, the premise. So uh, so I went in, I did the audition, you know, did my song, I can't even remember what I sang, whatever it was, uh, and got, got called back again, and and I was up for the, uh, this lead, one of the lead guys in it. So there was going to be five guys. It, was, uh, it ended up as Paul Schaefer from uh, Letterman. Right. Um, sure. Uh, Donnie Scardino, who ended up being big director in New York, I know, and uh, Josh Mostel. Zero Mustel's son, right. and me. So there's going to be four of us. And so the way it really happened was I went through all these auditions, and the crazy story with that, I mean, it was a pretty funny story what happened because I was going with this, uh, uh, my girlfriend, she was she was doing a show that was a Don Kirshner show, right? Like something like musical chairs or some musical chairs type of show. She was doing, and she said, why don't you come down and, you know, wait for me, we'll go out and get some dinner after I'm done. I said, okay. So I... So I came down. I sat in the uh, audience, and there was nobody else in the audience. It was just, it was just a, like a pre-tape, and they were getting everything ready. And and you know, I was waiting for her to get out of there. And then she, uh, I see Kirsten keeps looking at me. Kirsten's sitting there. He keeps looking at me. And he and and finally he goes, "Hey, babe, babe," he calls everybody babe. <laughs> so I so I, uh, I said, "Hello, hey Donnie, hey, how you doing?" You know. And uh, he goes, "Babe." don't I know you from someplace? And so I said, I almost said something. I almost said, yeah, from the auditions that I went through for the whole summer that I didn't get because I didn't get the part. <laughs> I, I came right down to the end and I didn't get the part, right? So this guy, do you remember Jay Siegel, the guy that sang, uh, In the Jungle, the Mighty Jungle? Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that song. Yeah, so Jay sang that and uh, and he was producing this uh, this show for, for Don Kirshner. This musical, I can't remember the name of it right now. But um, anyway, it never really made it onto the uh, on the air. I don't think. So, so he he says he says, "Come on down, come on down, come on down." 
So I, I start walking down, and um, and Donnie says, Jay, Jay, don't, don't, wouldn't this guy be good? Wouldn't doesn't he look right for you know for the? And so so Jay Jay looks at me because he knows that we worked, you know, we did all those auditions together, you know. And so Jay goes, yeah, Donnie, you know, and, and and I look at him, and and the AD runs up to Donnie and says something to him, you know, like she needed him for something. He goes, just a minute, one second, I'll be right back. So now I'm standing there with Jay Siegel by myself. And I said, don't 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 tell him that you know I auditioned. He says, all right, I'm not going to say anything. He says, just believe it, see what he says. I said, okay, good. So Donnie comes back. I love says, that story. It's great, right? So he says. He says, so, Jay, don't you think this guy would be good? You sing. Are you a singer? He goes, yeah. I said, yeah, I sing. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I do a lot. That's what I do. That's what I'm, I'm a singer. And he goes, Jay, you play music? And he says, yeah, 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 I play. He goes, look, what, what? I'm, I'm going to call you. I'm going to call you, and I'm going to bring you out. Because I know you, I, he, I, he's knowing me from somewhere. And, and uh, bottom line is, I, he, he ends up calling my house. I, I was living in Jersey. He calls my house. He says, you're going out to uh, California. Tomorrow to meet Norman Lear. Wow! Are you kidding me? No, so I, dr- like I go out, fly out, and I meet Norman Lear, and and Paul Schaefer's already cast, and uh, everybody else is cast. Donnie Scardino, Josh Mostel. So we did, you know, I went out, stayed at the Farmer's Daughter, and got up in the morning, and I went in, and literally I said one line, one audition line, you know, because he asked me if I'm an actor too. I said, Yeah, I'm an actor. I work on, you know, I did Jesus Christ Superstar, I did Grease, you know. He goes, Oh man, you're gonna be perfect for. And so, uh, and so I did one line for Norman Lear, and they all look at each other. They're all standing. Neil Bogart, you know, uh, Norman Lear, and Don Kirster stand there, and and Kirster looks at Norman Lear and says, "What do you think, babe?" So he says, "It's fine with me." That's what Norman Lear says. Mm-hmm. He's fine with me. And so uh, he says, "Okay, that's it then." So Donnie walks up. He goes, "You got the part. This is good. You're you're in." He says, I said, can I go back home and get my stuff? He says, yeah, we'll fly you back tonight. Come go get your stuff and come back out. And that's how that went. Wow. wow. So that that's a real testimony to being in the right place at the right time oh, no. and just being around. It was around. that girlfriend. Well, exactly. It was that girlfriend exactly. you went to go. Yeah. Wait I know. I always thank her for that. <laughs> and and not being, uh, you know, a lot of people wait for the phone to ring. They, they never leave their place. They're just waiting for somebody to call them with a gig. And there's a lot to be said for just being in circulation, you know, just being around. True. Yeah, nothing happens when you're sitting in your house. Right. Sure. Just be around. Yeah. So I went to California, and uh, that was an unbelievable experience. I mean, I, I I felt like I'll never forget when people tell me when they come out from other parts of the country and and uh, they, they, they say that California has a smell to it, and you just kind of, you know. I remember how free I felt when I came out. I, I couldn't believe it. It was just this. It was just amazing. The sun shining all the time. It was it was crazy. Oh yeah. So, uh, we do have some was, sun. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. So So what happened to the girlfriend? Did she come well, with we, you? No. Uh, we still keep in touch to this day. We're oh, still friends. That's great. Yeah. That's great. She, we were just a little, you know, we were sure. we were uh she was 10 years older than me and you know, it was just a different we were, we were just from two <laughs> You know, when when you're 29 and it's 17, it's you know, it's not too bad, but no. when you're, well, it's, best. it's actually illegal. So you were 17 at this time? Yeah, but I, I just turned 18 when I got on that bus. So okay, I, I no, I, listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not the FBI. Um, I know. I, I mean, I'm just saying that we, when we were <laughs> well, you together, were, you were you know, really I'm sure young. she must have thought. 
Yeah. But I was I was on the we went on the road together, so we did the entire. Uh, her name is Ernestine Jackson. She's a great girl. She uh, she a uh, great singer too. And um, so we got on this bus together in 1971, and we did Superstar for for a year together, and then another year on Broadway too. So we were together for a long time. She probably doesn't even remember that that was uh, that's how I really got going with the uh, the. Um, the movie, you know, with, with, literally with television. That's how. So, I got so, so, tell me how that transition works as an actor. You hadn't done any film work. You didn't even. I mean, you didn't know anything about movies or television, did you? No, not not at all. I know one one thing that I that I heard because I took a couple classes while I was in New York. I, this lady Mary Tarsai, her name was. She's a, I remember her name, but uh, I took a I took a few classes with her and. I remember the main thing was Broadway. You're playing to the last row, and when you're in a cat with the camera, you're playing right to the person, right to the, the person next to you. So that was a big transition. You have to calm it down. That's why a lot of people that that come from Broadway, you know, sometimes they look like they're over the top when they're acting. Sometimes because they're playing in the last row. But sure, you know. But uh, so that was a that was one thing I remembered, and then. Try to keep it personal, you know, a little more. So, so how did it go with Norman Lear? It was great. He he ended up being uh, a great mentor for me in a lot of ways. He uh, he even he cast me in. You know, the thing with that with that show was that it it was a uh, it was something that they were passionate about. They spent so much money on the show between the three of those heavyweights. They spent millions. I mean, one party that at Chasen's. Remember Chasen's? Oh, baby, it was around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, million. They spent a million dollars in that party that night. And, Probably and a million, it, one or two. It was a huge party for us for the release of the show, and it was phenomenal. But but the, uh, the, the thing about it was that uh, is that they had so much passion for the show, and Norman's job was to get it onto the network that uh, onto a network and, and have it stick someplace. But the problem was is they kept switching networks. So we did, and then Norman picked. Uh, he picked this. Uh, was a girl from New York that never really worked out right for the role, you know. And she, she just, ne- it just never worked out. She was really not, not the right pick. She was more of a, you know, I don't know. She wasn't the right pick. So, so and, did you have an agent by this time? Oh yeah, yeah, I had an agent. I was with uh, David Windsor. I remember Fifi Osgard. I remember sure. Fifi Osgard. Yeah, that that was kind of that really held us back. I think so. They so they kept on experimenting with the show. We did five. I remember the terrible store. For me, it was a terrible day because I was going to do the Dinah Shore show. I and, remember uh, Dinah Shore. Remember her, right? The Dinah Shore show, and uh, and I was going to talk about. And our show was supposed to come out that night. And I get a call in the morning. It goes like this: "Don't get up." I said, "Why?" He said, "Because it's not going to be a good day." <laughs> well, that's not a good call. I, he never get phone phone calls like. And, I, and so she says, look, you're not doing the Dinosaur Show tonight. You're not singing your song on the show. Because I was, all I was trying to do always was trying to get my music going. You know? And uh, and so so you're not doing that, and the show's canceled. And I said, what happened? You know, <laughs> it was just a bad day. And uh, so it was discouraging because we already shot five of them, but Norman didn't want anybody to see them. He didn't so like them so that, and, and that, I, that, I think, tells us that, uh, if you're looking for a steady Eddie career, 
where everything is predictable and progress is a normal thing. Yeah, this is not the career. This is not it because things happen that are completely out of your control. You you were in a busted show basically with major people behind it. Right. Which shows us that uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm sure it was a great show, tremendous amount of talent behind it. But when you, when you get involved with networks and studios, there are politics that are involved and schedules and things like that. Uh, we've had those same experiences ourselves. We had a 22-episode commitment canceled six hours before the first crew call. And we had the trucks, oh. we had the trucks loaded. People were buying houses, you know, they thought life was going to be good for at least a year. And suddenly the guys at ABC said, yeah, you know what? We're not so sure. That's a good point. You, you can't really plan. That's the one thing about this business where, you know, you say we're a lot of other businesses. If you have a job, uh, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're, you know, I mean, I don't know how it is today, but I mean, it always seemed like those are more stable jobs. If you're any any job that has some kind of stability or is so much better than what we do, that's why if you make a chunk of money, you've got to make sure you put that chunk. Uh, you know, I, my son is in the music business. I told you, but uh, he's doing really well, and he just bought a beautiful house. And in fact, he moves in today. And I keep telling us, and you know, you're making huge money right now. Just. Uh, Make sure you you know sock some away because it doesn't always last forever. You know, so Fatherly advice, like yeah. But you know, when you're young and successful, you think it's going to last forever. That's right. That's what you think. You you, you just you don't realize that that uh, anything can happen. Uh, yeah, anything can happen. Exactly, anything can happen. And uh, and your huge money making years. I mean, some people are lucky enough to have that 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 go on and on and on. But but. Uh, but, but most know, aren't, you know. Yeah. It's just the nature of the business. So, so while we're talking, while, while we're talking about your son, Jason Evigan, right? Give him the plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's doing really great. He's he's got uh, he's got multiple songs on the radio right now. He had that uh, Demi Lovato was heart attack. He wrote that. Uh, he's one of the writers on that. And uh, and Jason Derulo's "Talk Dirty to Me." He's got David Guetta. Um, He's got a new. He's got that Madonna's uh, song too. So he's got a really wide range of who he's writing for. So how so, so uh, how proud is his father? Pretty proud. Oh, pretty proud. You know, I mean, I, you know, I've always been. And I told you before about. I've always been around music and always had that aspiration, and I still do. I mean, I still spend time with music and uh, and uh, writing and kind of thing. So to see him do it, to see him carry through, I mean, you know, build it and they will come. Well, I built the studio years ago upstairs. Him and his friends and everybody else came and uh, and they all really, really turned it into something. I mean, it didn't have to be a big money. I mean, they, they do it because they love it. You know, but let's face it, it just doesn't hurt to make a few bucks. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's always great to make a living at something that you love. Right. Yes, exactly. That's that, the that's ultimate. Big, that's the list. Isn't there a little list? Like, find something that you... Uh, so I think the first thing is find something that you're good at. That's right. That you like. And then try you know, and make money on it. <laughs> right. If you're not good at it, don't, you're going to beat your head against the wall forever, you know. Uh, but I think it was something like find something that you love, that you're good at, that you can make money on. I can't remember the order, but it's those three, something like that. And I, and I think but, that the, the judge of whether or not you're any good at something is will anybody pay you for it? Yeah, I mean, you, you need more than your mom and dad saying, "Oh, that's great, attaboy, keep going," you know, because mom and yeah. dad always like what you're doing. But it's that objective okay. check writer 
who really determines our value. So, so after, so after your, your, uh, well, I don't want to, put, I don't want, while we're on the kids, I, I want to put in a plug for, for Brianna because my daughter Brianna has a show that's on the air, um, that she's on now that she just got is a pretty good role for her. So it's, uh, I didn't even know but, you had a daughter. You have more he, kids? He has two daughters. Oh, two daughters. Yeah. Yeah, Vanessa and you met Vanessa, Bob. Right. And, uh, and uh, Vanessa has a, a screening for a movie that she used to, and I got to get the name. Of it. I wish I, I don't have to look up the name before we go. But uh, but Brianna's got this Dust Till Dawn. She's on this uh, series. It's on um, L. It's called L Ray Network. Sure. Uh, she's working with uh, Robert Rodriguez, and so she's happy about that. And she's in Texas right now shooting it. Awesome. Yeah. So so, so you have a real showbiz family. Yeah, everybody. Uh, everybody couldn't get one doctor or lawyer. Nope. But you've done it. But you've done it right. Now these kids can take care of their old man. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, Perfect. We'll see about that, right? So, so take us to the to the next step. The first time you walked on the Universal lot, how did the BJ part come about? Because you became a real pop icon with BJ and the Bear. I want you to just say one thing to anyone who's listening out there that has aspirations of being an actor and that kind of thing. I made this new rule with myself. I said, and I, cause I had the habit of doing that too. I mean, especially when you're the lead on a show and you know, it's your show. You, you go out there and, and, and you're filming all of a sudden you think you didn't do what you wanted to do and you cut yourself. Okay. You say, I cut, wait, hold on one second. Cut, cut, cut. I made a, I made a rule in the last, you know, whatever, eight years that I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to cut myself because I, I don't know what I think is not, what I think isn't good may be the best. And me struggling to get through a scene at certain points. And when you see someone thinking on film on how they're going to get out of a situation, that could turn out to be the most interesting thing that an actor can possibly do on film. And so it's really leave it to the director is what I'm trying to say. Let the director do his job. Don't you cut for the director. If you, you know. So anyway, I just wanted to say that because there's certain things you don't want to do, and that's one of them. I can tell you that. I'm so, sure uh, every director that hears this will thank you for that. That's really good okay. advice. Really good advice. Yeah, let the, just finish the scene. Make it, make it your point to say, you know what? Even if I'm, even if I'm so off in this scene, I'm, I'm going to make this thing work. I'm going to figure out how to work my way out of this, and I'm going to be free enough as an actor, to be able to do that. Well, that's, that's, that requires a great deal of humility. I think that's wonderful advice. So you get a call from your agent, and your agent says, we have this show with a monkey. Right. Tell me how that, that goes. That was exactly how it went, too, because what happened was, I remember it was Barbara Gale, was my agent, and, uh, with ICM. And, and the, um, I get a call, because I'm ready to leave. I, I've had it with California. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. The show got canceled, you know, the year at the top of Norman Laird. I was on a contract. They kept me at, I had this uh, Roy Radin. I don't know if you remember him. He he was a manager. I was with Roy Radin for a while. I remember and, the uh, name, yeah. And, uh, it was, uh, I I was with uh, Roy, and he got me a deal where he, I was paid every week, no matter what, even though I wasn't doing the show. And that lasted for about a year and a half, two years, something like that. So I was making money every week because Roy Rayton got in his deal. And uh, and they paid it because Don Kirsten would not give up on that show. Mm. He, tr- 
tried it three times. I mean, two years later, he called me and said, Greg, we're doing it again. Oh, boy. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no, we're going to do it again. And it just never worked, unfortunately. So so anyway, after that, so I, I'm ready to leave. I got no money left. I'm broke. I'm completely broke. I had everything packed up in my little Burbank house that I had rented, which I was paying way too much money for. And uh, so now I'm literally broke. I got a couple hundred bucks left to get enough gas to get back to New Jersey. And uh, and I get a call from my agent. And she says, Greg, there's this show that you'd be perfect for, you know, um, can you go in? I said, what is it? You know, he says, well, it's this guy. He's in a truck. He's got, he's got a chin pants. You know, I'm like, come on. Get, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and she says, great. He, 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 the guy that's producing it is a really big producer, and he's, you know, Glenn Larson, and he's, he's got all shows in there. They love his shows. They pick his shows up all the time. I said, ah, oh, jeez, man, I don't know. She says, just go. And almost every show that I've gotten, I've done everything not to do. So this is another thing, actors out there. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> we don't know what's going on. Just, sometimes you got to go with the floor, you know. And uh, so, I mean, even my two dads, I turned it down like three times because I didn't want to be a father on the show. You know? So anyway, so so now I go in. I go, uh, I get to the, uh, you know, I get in there. And it was different than any audition I've been on because there was a truck there. He had a truck and a soundstage. And uh, and he had uh, I don't know some stuffed monkey in there or something sitting next, and uh, which didn't help. So I go in. And I, and my attitude was I'm leaving town in one half an hour. I'm out of this place. I don't care. I don't care one bit about this audition. Okay, I'll read the lines off the paper. I'll just you know. And apparently that was the attitude they wanted. You know, right? They so, want, the, the, the the character was kind of a flippant, you know, insouciant guy who just had attitude. You know, right? You know, <laughs> that was exactly it. Another lesson, that, you know, that I was learning right there on the spot. Little did I know that sometimes the way you bring yourself into that audition is going to be uh, pretty important. You know, and you don't need, you know, and whatever you're bringing with you that day, that baggage, bring it with you. You know, you never know; it might work. So I get in there, you know, I did the audition, and I, I get out of the truck, and I go to leave. And so Glenn Larson walks out the door, he says, hey, wait, wait, I want, hold on one second. He, was, he says, um, I really think you could play this part. This is a really good part for you. I'll tell you what, he says, the only thing I'm wondering is, uh, is about the, he's an ex-Vietnam um, chopper pilot. And I, I'm on, he's just a little young, and he just looked a little young. And so I said, well, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I could have been in Vietnam, no problem. I mean, I was, you know, drafted. And uh, he goes, really? He says, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, you're the guy. Wow. And so I said, I said, really? He says, yeah. I said, you know, I really want you to do this role. And so I said, well, and I was, I was just completely, I didn't know what to say. I was just stuck there looking at Glenn Larson. I'm like, now, and, did, uh, now, now, were you aware of who Glenn Larson was at that time and his his clout? Yeah. Well, I, I knew that he was, you know, I knew that he was a, a big producer and then he had all these shows that well, were doing I, just, well. For our listeners, the, that generation, Glenn Larson was at the top of the game. He had multiple series on the air at Universal. He had a half a dozen development deals. He could he could produce a pilot uh, at, at the drop of a hat um, just based on a whim. And when Glenn Larson anointed you... You became a star. Um, that's the kind of power he had, and those were the halcyon days at Universal, where they had twenty-five different series on the air. It was a happening spot, and here you are, a guy with your car packed, ready to go back to Perth Amboy, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
South Amboy, Sayreville. Yeah, I know. I, I, he was he was really I and I kind of I didn't really believe him. To tell you the truth, I, I mean, I, even though I, you know, he was saying it to me, I didn't really believe that. I just thought, ah, that's probably you know, it was a nice. He probably liked the audition, and he, you know. So then I just left. I, I said, all right, well, thanks, take care, and I just left. And by the time I got home, I had. I had my answering machine still set up in there, and uh, and and I just listened to the answering machine and had probably eight messages from my agent on it already. Call me, call me, call me now. What are you doing? Why aren't you calling me? It's like, and I and just this got was home. way before cell phones. Of course, you couldn't get a hold of you until you got home. Exactly. So, yeah. so I, you know, I, I listened. I called her up. She goes, "What did you do? What you got it?" I said. I said, well, I, I don't know. I went in and I, I just did the audition. She says, well, you got it. You, you, you know, you got the part. But we thought that, you know, you still had to get through the whole pilot thing, right? You know, you can have all your hopes up and buy your house and boom, the pilot doesn't go and one, that's it. Yeah, don't so, buy anything, right? right. Yeah, exactly. Don't buy anything. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, we got the order for, I think, I think, I think it was 22. Or it, was that, a, yeah. it was a full season and that's, and that's when I got the call to come in and see the pilot and they had, they had called me and I'd been writing other stuff and they said, uh, we have a show about a guy with a chimpanzee and he's a trucker driving a Kenworth and it's basically his adventures. And, and part of this came off of smoking the bandit, I think. Yeah, without a doubt, right? That whole genre and the 10-4 good buddy stuff, CB radios were a huge deal at the time. Uh, and I hey. and I had kind of your same reaction, like, I'm really not going to be able to write for a guy and a monkey. But then I saw, and I don't mean this in any, any flattering way, I just saw you, and I said, this guy is going to be a star. I'll do whatever show he's on, because it's going to last, you know? It's going to be a good, solid gig. Wasn't uh, this one of your... Uh uh, first big this is job this is my my big break yeah yeah so yeah. so that was your big break right yeah exactly as a writer yeah, i mean that was my big break too without a doubt it, that was that was the one that just catapulted us i mean because you know do you, you remember the rating do you remember what happened with that we had a 34 we had a 34 share we had a 47 share 47 wow, wow yeah yeah huge. it was huge i mean today if you have a four share you're on the air forever Exactly, and we had a forty-seven share. I remember uh, Fred Silverman didn't didn't want a monkey with a show with a monkey on his network because he was into you know probably his police shows and a lot, right. you know a little more serious stuff. And but then all of a sudden they put us on and we got a forty-seven share. So he didn't believe it. He says, "You know, I, I'm going to run it against Network that show Network. Remember Network? Yep. The uh, the movie. Sure. So I'm going to run. I'm going to run it against our first run of Network, and I'm going to kill it." And he runs it against network, and we get a forty-three share. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I actually think the show when the show finally came to an end, uh, you were we were still in the thirties for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we're right around there. Yeah. So, yeah. so uh, just a quick couple of questions: What was it like working with the chimp? And did you actually learn how to drive the truck? <laughs> yes, yes. Day one, I went and I, uh, you know, they sent me right away to. Uh, Wally Thor's Truck Masters. I remember the name. I think like that. It just came out of nowhere. Wally Thor's Truck Masters. And it was easy to get the license in. Like, I went down. Uh, literally, I got in the truck with this guy, Wally Thor, maybe. You know, and we drove around. I did the thing. I learned a little bit about it. I learned about the brakes and the whole thing. Great. You got a license. You're in. You know? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And the reason I'm saying this is because I, I went back. I, I produced that movie called Phantom Racer for the Sci-Fi Channel. And I had to drive a truck in that, so I went and I, 
I, I had to redo my license and do the whole thing. Fine. A whole different ball game. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I had to go through a week of training. I had to, you know, it took me, I said, I'm never letting this thing go again, is what I said after that. After that last. You uh, never know when you need a job, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, or you never know when you need to move a family member. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the one of the really nice things about doing that show and Larson's ability to cast because he was really a consummate judge of talent is the is the really fine actors that were brought in to work with you on the show. I mean, uh, Claude Aikens, Ed Lauder. Uh, how many girls? Oh my gosh! I mean, it was a parade of starlets on that show. Oh yes. So, Thank so sure. this was the time when you became a really big teen star, right? You were on yeah. a lot of covers. Oh yeah, Tiger Beat and all those, right? Oh yeah. So, how did you handle that? Because you had really become a fairly serious actor, and now you're doing a little bit of a lightweight role, uh, and suddenly, you know, everybody wants you to open their supermarket, and everybody, you know, you you were a personal appearance star as well, weren't you? Yeah, I did. I did a, a share of them. You know, I did a lot of those car shows and things like that, and all those uh, all those TV shows of, you know, like I said, Dinah Shore. I finally got on Dinah Shore. Dinah Shore and uh, Merv Griffin multiple times and got to do the Johnny Carson show once. Uh, so, oh, yeah. so BJ had a, was it a three-year run? Yeah, it was, we did 50 shows. We uh, The last year was uh, a big a problem. I remember we got stuck in the strike, and um, yep. Yep. they owed me for seven shows. You know, they... They didn't want to pay me. Well, so. Yeah, and then there were then there were budget issues with uh, NBC and Universal, and uh, Glenn had other shows that were in kind of catastrophic straits with respect to budget overages. And I think in some way they wanted to kind of set Glenn straight, punish him a little bit. So yeah, I think you're right about that. So 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 my two dads was also an enormous hit. I mean, how lucky is it to have one hit series followed by another hit series? It was pretty. It was pretty lucky. I mean, I, I I look at it as you know, there's luck, and then there's fate, and there's uh, all the other things in between. But but being ready is what I always tell people to be as ready as you can because you never know when this is going to happen. You never know when you're going to be called upon to perform, and and really the whole audition process is based on the ability to be ready. When you think about it, I mean, if you really think about it. All you have to do as an actor is just be ready. It goes back to your experience auditioning for Jesus Christ. You had the entire book memorized. You were ready to sing any one of the songs. They only wanted how, nine bars or something? Twelve. Twelve, 12, 12 bars. 12, yeah. And you were ready yeah. with the whole show. I mean, preparation is key, isn't it? It is key. And, and it's hard to be prepared for your whole life. And that's the thing that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And you have too. I mean, you know, being prepared for your whole life is a tough one because there come, there's times in your life where you... You just don't want to do something. You know, you just, you're just not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eating this month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm exactly. eat, I, you know what I mean? So, so you maybe get out of shape a little bit or you, you know, or you let things go and you know, and then something great comes up and say, Hey, we're looking for a guy who's you know, kind of emaciated, you know, and he's really, you know, <laughs> or he's got well, a good, or he sorry. has a, he has a good six pack, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> or yeah, exactly. Right. Even better. He's got an eight pack. And um, and you're not ready for that. So so there's it's tough to be that ready, you know. What I mean, but you, but I, for me, it's always been keep your voice in shape, keep your you know your acting chops in shape, 
and um, and music music wise, whatever you know, play your piano, play play the instruments, and try to always you know. I started playing guitar a year ago, so that was a lot of roles. They say, "Hey, you play guitar?" Now I can say, "Yeah, I play guitar." So uh, so you know, it's it's just being ready. Being sure. ready is is a big thing, you know, based on what we how vulnerable we are to the situation. So you know, we were vulnerable because we have other people that get us the auditions. So yeah. during all this in between the two big series, how was your music? Were you involved in music or did you even have time to pursue that? You know, the music like for instance on my set I wrote the theme song. I co wrote it with my partner, Lenny Macaluso. Uh, at the time, we, we wrote the theme song for Mighty Dads. So we ended up selling that to them. And they liked it so much that they, uh, you know, they couldn't deny it. Michael really wanted to write it himself. I know that. And, and uh, But he he couldn't deny it because we came up with, uh, you know, You Can Count On Me. It's called. classic so i always yeah i always did the music i, I always i did an album um, called slow down i did uh um I, I still i've been working on something for a long time now it's almost embarrassing at this point so but i recorded it through royal philharmonic orchestra i played the piano and uh but it's i finally finished it now i'm under the process of the, the final mix taking it to the studio and getting the final mix so i've got that that i want to put that out there soon so I've never stopped writing you know I've, I've always kept writing the music and, and when I look at when I listen to some of the demos all the demos I've got and how much money I've spent on music throughout my <laughs> now I know where the money you know where it went so well, but, well uh, you're just uh, you're just investing in your own talent I mean there's nothing wrong with that so let me ask you this question I mean you, you look at your uh, at your credit list it, it runs six seven pages single spaced all the movies you've done, all the series you've done, all the guest shots you've done. As we wrap this up, and you've been super generous with your time, uh, we can't keep you all day. Of all the work you've of all the work you've done, if you could repeat one role, which one would it be? I would say probably the Mighty Dad's character. That was that was you know Joey Harris was a lot of fun. I I, I probably had the most fun doing that show than anything I've ever done. Really was with that show because of the comedy aspect of it and getting up and, you know, making people laugh and genuinely getting laughs on the show and that kind of thing. So, I mean, that would have been nice to continue that for five years. Let's put it that way, you know, instead of getting cut off at three when we were just really finding our, our, uh, the spot. So, so let's, so let's jump cut to the present. Tell us what Greg Evigan is up to now and what we can look forward to in the future. Because you're a you're a very young, vital guy. I mean, you know, just so the listeners know how you and I got back together, our mutual good friend Michael Sloan, who was really one of the guys who hired me to come on and write for BJ, uh, he brought us together over lunch, and it was kind of like old home week, like like 25 years just disappeared. It was great. So yeah, was, we got to do that again, by the way. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was just very impressed with um, n- nothing seems to have changed. You haven't changed at all, dude. Do you have a portrait hanging oh. in a closet aging somewhere? <laughs> Thank you. I, you know, my kids keep me young, man. That's it. It's, uh, we're all working together, too. That's really what, right now, this is the dream come true, really, is that 
I'm working with my kids in so many ways. We're, we're, we've got started a company together. We're, you know, we have projects. That I've been writing a lot. I've got, uh, you know, some good interest in, uh, in some of the projects I've written. And uh, so I realized that, you know, it's, it's tough to just be an actor forever, to be on call and, and like I said, prepare. So what I try to do is uh, get into the writer-producer uh, uh, area. That's what I'm that's really where, and then of course I'm never going to give up on the music. The music is always, uh, uh, always there. And then, uh, and I love acting too. So it's just trying to create a better situation for myself. Is really what it comes down to. So, because, so as, uh, as as a as a uh, writer as a producer, are you looking for material? Or are you creating your own? Because uh, I promise you, if if you give us some contact information, is it through your website? You'll get material because there are a lot of people out there who would love to see you on the screen again. Oh yeah, um, right now the way I've been doing is, uh, you know, I've been writing. I've been writing a lot. So so what I've written is what I'm trying to get produced. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm never never have my eyes closed or ears closed to uh, uh, to a great project, a great script. When you, when you uh, you know, if there's, a, if there's a unique story that needs to be told, uh, love to have a shot to. Uh, now I notice you. I, I notice you have a very powerful website. Is that the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, now my website is old. That website is not too good. Right? We're, we're, here, we're in the process of revamping. That's an old website. Uh, I guess you could, it would still work. I should probably talk to you about that. So, Greg, would it be fair of me to ask you if you could pick one career that you've you've done? You've had three. Which is your favorite, baby? I mean, is it? It sounds like music is your first love, and acting you just kind of fell into it. Or I would say music could be first. But that, would, that would be if I had. If someone said, "Well, hey, tomorrow, Greg, you could do whatever you want. What do you want to do?" I think uh, I would probably take the. Uh, the writing, you know, the writing, the music, and uh, and the uh, uh, producing. I would love to. I'm gonna see my projects come to fruition uh, that I've written, and uh, uh, and then have a, and then write myself a role so I can play, you know, play a good role in one of the shows. I mean, that would be that would be great. And then performing the performing live with the Royal Philharmonic uh, and and doing something like that. I, I would love to do. I mean, I, I would that, just that love sounds to exciting. Yeah, that, that that music that, that I recorded uh, came out great, and I I wanted to be right before I put it out, so it's uh, with the mix. But I would love to perform that someday too. If if you could give, if somebody came up to you and said they would love to have a career like yours, what advice would you give them? Well, tell them to figure out what you know what their dream is, you know what their what their direction is, you know what they. You know what they feel that they're the most talented at, and it kind of comes down to what we talked about before. When those three things, you know, find mm-hmm. something that you love, and that you're good at, that you can make money at. And by the way, the make money part is the last one, really, because I never got into it for that. I got into it for the passion of what I was doing. I, mean, I, I know a lot of people get into things for different reasons, and I and I know I watch people. I some people literally get into it for the money, and I. Just never understood that in the beginning because my passion for what we do as artists has always been so strong. That's been my passion. So, me, so money is only a byproduct of something you do really well and uh, and something that you have this incredible passion for. So, I would say to anyone, figure out where your passions lie, where your true love is, and uh, what you're really good at, 
and and go for it. Just go for it. See what happens because in your younger years, that's the only time you have to go for it. When you're later on, I don't know what you do. You know, <laughs> at that point, I don't, I don't know what you do besides. You know, it's a little tougher. You know, this business has always been a youth-oriented business. So, well, it's a good thing you're still such a young guy. Yeah, wise guy. <laughs> so, Thanks, buddy. So, I mean, what <laughs> we what we're hearing here is uh, just phenomenal experience and really sage advice. As we wrap it up. Let me ask you one question. You've been listening to this podcast at home or on your earbuds while you're walking the dog. What's the one word or phrase or sentence that you would use to describe Greg Evigan? Is this a Barbara Walters moment? This is a Barbara Walters moment, Greg. (laughs) I would say deeply committed, incredibly excited about just life and the art forms and and family. Awesome. So awesome. We feel that. that we, we really feel that. I swear. It's, uh, that's, that's, this was a fun interview. That's fabulous. Yeah. Greg, I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you doing this. I think you're going to get an awful lot of response to just the honesty, uh, and your vitality. And as you say, the commitment just comes through. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. I, thanks for taking the time too. And, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for the great questions and, I'll send you. We get together, Bob. Let's do that again. Let's uh, absolutely. (laughs) You got it. We'll make it happen, man. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Thanks. was greg doing another one of his great songs that one's called slow down i loved interviewing greg it really brought back memories he's so easy to talk to what a cool guy yeah he and he sounds like he has and a real showbiz family what, oh as well. my goodness what a talent and obviously it came from his parents and now he's passing it on to his kids just uh, a wonderful a wonderful conversation and, and he's great, still going and a great guy still going he's got all kinds of things he's doing yeah mr record producer movie producer it's all happening Hey, listen, I want to remind everybody, go to the website, check out our new book, wherehollywoodhides.com, Santa Barbara, Celebrities in Paradise. It's available at Amazon. It's also on the website where you get free delivery. Mother's Day is coming, Father's Day. It's the perfect It's the perfect gift for the parents uh, who already have everything you've given them. Hey, listen, I want to thank everybody who responded to uh, our little outreach on our Facebook page, Where Hollywood Hides. Uh People who have liked us, uh, tremendous support. And among those are Marif Romero, Deepak Sawant, Yoshiharu Yasuda. Hey, this proves that we are in 65 countries, right? Derry Detalia, Sarah Root, Kathleen Kerr, Debbie Richard, Frank Stewart, Lachlan Mason, Allison Gein, Richard Stranger, Robert and Christy McBride, Tommy Moorhead, John S. Drew, Francesca Kirkpatrick, Nadia Frezza, Irene Hernandez, Rock Debien, uh, Venanzio Facori. I can only imagine where these people are from. Uh, Tim Rappel, Bob Bold, Mike Weekly, Shirley Dyson, Amelina Roca, 
Terry Elder Smith, John Palka, Laura, Laura Haldane, Myron, Lam- Myron Lambright, Johnny Martin, and Jerry Parks. Thank you guys so much for liking us on Facebook. And uh, stay we tuned. We appreciate all our listeners right. and all our likes. And we encourage everyone to go onto our website and to give us a like and a good review on our book. You know, you said something earlier, the mystery of... How, what uh, what Greg Evigan had to do with our marriage and things like that? I'm dying well, to I'm dying to hear what this is. Well, we had been dating, yeah, for a few years, and you were quite poor. I was broke. Yes, struggling and I writer. I hung in there with you, and um, you finally got your big break, and it was on BJ and the Bear. That's true. And I decided that was it. Oh, that's when we got married? That's right. Oh, my gosh. In 1979. Right. That so, helped. It helped. So just you know? as Greg got his break and I got my break, you said, hey, you I got think a bride. Uh, wonderful. Well, Thank you, Greg. <laughs> all right. And thanks for listening. This is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And Bob McCullough. See you at the movies. And today's music is provided by Chance McCullough. You can find more of his original soundtracks at chancemccullough.com. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star rating and a quick comment or review at iTunes forward slash where Hollywood hides. Those reviews really do help get the word out. And drop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash where Hollywood hides and hit that like button. Chillicothes and Paducahs with their bazookas to get their names up in lights. All armed with photos from local rotos with their hair in ribbons and legs in tights. Hooray for Hollywood. You have no way of knowing who Another Papa Dion, your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his five. Hooray for Hollywood! Oh,